We'll begin reading in verse 4 of chapter 14 tonight and go to the end of the chapter, the end of the book. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I'll be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answers and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please be seated. We're about to enter into one of my favorite times of year. The winter cold is over. The spring rains have come and come and come some more. And we're beginning to see the very first signs of spring. We have a cherry blossom in our tree that is beginning to bloom. And we have irises and tulips that are in full bloom, no doubt, in your yards as well. And pretty soon the Grass and the lawns will be green and the temperatures will be warmer and the sun will be shining pleasantly. Seasons are a wonderful blessing from the Lord. It's a part of how the Lord has made the earth. It's how he has provided for us. In fact, you probably know this, that if the earth wasn't tilted at a 23.5 degrees on the axis, then the earth would almost be uninhabitable because the equator would be too hot and the poles would be too cold and so there would only be a small strip of land in the northern hemisphere and a small strip of land in the southern hemisphere that would even support life. But because it is tilted, we have the seasons of spring and summer and fall and winter as well as making much more of the earth a place that we can live and grow our crops and be able to have food to eat. And so seasons are very important to us, and they provide a wonderful variety to life. Through them, I think they demonstrate God's faithfulness, his faithfulness that one season always follows after another. But I wonder if there is more lessons than that, and I'm sure that there is. With anything physical, the Lord is usually teaching us a spiritual lesson as well. Just like the earth goes through seasons, we go through seasons as well. Seasons in our physical life, and no doubt seasons in our spiritual life. Seasons of flourishing, of perhaps even of harvest, and seasons when things are dormant and even perhaps cold. Well, what do we do? Well, just like the seasons of nature, we must be reminded that the Lord is the Lord of them all, that he is at work in each and every one of them, if we see it or not. And what we see in this last section of Hosea in his conclusion 
is that the Lord through Hosea sets before the people of Israel not only a call to return and the way to return, which we saw last week in the first three verses, but a promise that when they return, or perhaps even if they return, that they will be able to return in a way that will allow them to flourish. That the coldness of their hearts that has been much demonstrated, the winter season of the soul and of sin must end, and it's the time for spring. The springing, the flourishing of them spiritually. And this is a flourishing that is to take place individually as well as corporately. And that is a wonderful reminder for us as well, that both individually and corporately in whatever stage of life we may be in, whatever season we may find ourselves in, Lord is faithful. And he sustains us through and allows us to even flourish and that we ultimately flourish in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that tonight in three points, the source of flourishing, then flourishing within, without, and beyond, and then final, uh, final charge, third of final charge. First, the source of flourishing. Last week we saw at the beginning of this chapter that there was a call to return. You see that in verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. And we saw what a gracious call this is, just as we would wonder how was it that Hosea could have called his wife back after her unfaithfulness, after her committing adultery, not only once, but seemingly multiple times. We wonder how it is that Hosea could accept her back into this marriage relationship. And so, too, we wonder how it is as a parallel that God would accept Israel back and issue this call to return. And yet this call does go out, and this call not only goes out to Israel, but it goes out even this day to the ends of the earth. In fact, Jesus issues the same call, does he not? When we read of this in John 7, verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Indeed, that call for all those that are thirsty, all those that are needy, Jesus says, come, return to me. And we saw then that Jose gives the way of return. He gives the steps of faith and repentance. He demonstrates that there is to be a conviction of sin. As he says, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And that we're to return to the Lord with words of prayer. Take with you words and return. And he even gives you the prayer here in which to pray. Take away all my iniquity. Accept what is good. And I will pay with bulls the vows of your lips. So you see that it is not only this asking for forgiveness, but it is this desire to return to what is right, to return to what is good, to giving good sacrifices to the Lord. And also, as it goes on in verse 3, turning away from that which is false. As it says here, turning away from Assyria, who cannot save us, Hosea says, but returning to the Lord who can 
And so there is beautiful verses there in verses 1 through 3. And it is the way that we must come, and it's the way that we must continually come before the Lord in words and prayers of faith and repentance. And what Hosea goes on to lay out in the rest of the chapter is more reasons, more motivation to return to the Lord. And in fact, reasons to never leave. For it is in Him that we flourish. To borrow the words of the apostles, it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. For it is in Him that we have relationship. It is in Him that we have the covenant and all the covenant blessings. And so notice what the Lord says through Hosea in verse 4. I will heal their apostasy. Literally, I will hear, heal their turning or their turning away. And I will love them freely, the Lord says, for my anger has turned from them. Again, see what the Lord is saying. Listen to these words of graciousness that if Israel will return, not only will God heal from their sins, from their self-inflicted iniquities upon themselves. Not only will he forgive them of this and forgive them of their idolatry, but he will turn his anger away from them and will turn his love upon them. It's turning from a face of wrath to a face of love and of grace. And as we have seen throughout this book, this is a book of love. If there was ever a whole book about love, it is this one and the radical nature of that love and how we should be grateful for it. And we know that that love only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, that the beloved son, the one in whom the father said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased, that it is in Christ that we too are loved and well-pleasing to the Father. Why? Because it was the Son who also took the anger, the wrath, our rightful sins upon himself, and therefore made a propitiation of God's wrath and anger so that God no longer looks on us with this anger, but looks on us with love so we could receive such love. And so every Sunday, as we close the service, we have those wonderful words of the benediction when we say that the Lord has made his face to shine upon us and to be gracious to us. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. We know that this all comes because of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord is able to have his face, his countenance, his love shine upon us because of Christ. And it is only because he has turned his face away from anger and turned to us in this loving relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on in verse 8 to say that this all comes from the Lord. He is the source of all blessings. He's the source of all flourishing He says there, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. 
It is not the idols that provide this. They cannot. In fact, it is only the Lord, as it says, I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Notice that the Lord likens himself here to a cypress tree, to a fruit-bearing tree. And I think this metaphor has a specific purpose. It is set in odds to the gods and the idols of the nations. If you noticed in our reading in that verses 5 through 7 that Israel is likened to Lebanon three times. To the trees in Lebanon, to the fragrance of Lebanon, and to the wine of Lebanon. No doubt these were things that Lebanon was famous for. And the land of Lebanon was also famous for something else. That of Baal and Baal worship. That Lebanon was where Baal worship originated. And no doubt it was during this time, the time of Hosea and the time of the northern kingdom, that Israel was believing this lie that if we want our land to flourish... If we want to be like an evergreen tree, if we want to have fruits and if we want to have fragrance and if we want to have wonderful wine, then we have to also worship the same God that the nations worship, the God of flourishing, and that is that of Baal. And Israel, as we have seen again and again throughout this book, believe that lie. But the Lord says here, no. It is I that is the evergreen tree, always flourishing, always producing. For me comes all the fruit in which you eat. Or as we saw in the beatitude this morning, I alone am the way of blessing. Blessing and happiness comes through me alone. And that is what we see here in the middle of this chapter, second, the flourishing within, without, and even beyond. The picture is clear that God is the source of blessing. That his people flourish under his care. Notice what it says there in verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel. Now that may not sound like much or that may not sound very important, especially here in the very wet and damp and humid south where we have way too much moisture at times, especially of late. But do you think in the context where this was originally spoken, this was an arid desert climates, that that dew was a matter of life and of death, that that dew is what made the desert come to life. And isn't that a wonderful spiritual picture as well, that we are like that desert, spiritually speaking, that there is nothing living, nothing growing, that there is only that which is dead and that which is dying. And the Lord, by his spirit, comes and refreshes and renews and breathes life, and that which was dead comes alive. And as a result, things begin to blossom. We see that here in verse 5. The second uh, stanza there, he shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Notice again that this blooming begins to take place. And where does it first begin? It first begins within. And we see here that it says that the roots 
like the trees of Lebanon. Verse 6 is shoots shall spread out. Roots are almost entirely unseen, aren't they? But they are essential to the tree itself. Without it, the tree cannot grow. Without it, the tree cannot flourish or even stand. The shallower the roots, the worse off. But the deeper the roots go, the better life that that tree will have. The longer longevity it will be able to have and remain. And that is what God is saying is taking place in the heart of man. The Lord does his work largely unseen in the heart and the soul and the spirit of the man. And that is what allows the person to flourish. That it goes from the inside out. And that is always the pattern. It starts within and goes without. First in that which is unseen. And then it begins to be seen in the life. And in the actions. And in the attitude. And in the words. And even through the thoughts of the person. That they begin to manifest themselves on the outside. That the tree begins to flourish and to be fruitful. And you see this in the life of a person as well. And this, uh, these verses even talk about this in verse 6. As the shoots begin to spread out, it says that his beauty shall be like that of the olive or the olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. There is a countenance is given to the godly man and to the godly woman. Yes, even a beauty. That in a sense their spirit shines through and there is a fragrance. Is this not what the Apostle Paul says that we are to be? When he says in 2 Corinthians 2, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, fragrance from death to death, but to the other a fragrance of life to life. That there is an attractive nature to the godly. Not necessarily because of their looks, not because of their personality per se, but because of the work of the Lord within them, within their spirits. That there is an aroma, a beauty that radiates from them. And that is not something that you can do on your own, that is only a work of God, the Spirit of God in you. And that begins to be a blessing to those around. And that is what exactly what Hosea, the Lord says through Hosea to Israel, that as they become a flourishing tree, as they begin to be a fragrance and a blessing, the nations around them are blessed. It goes on in verse 7. It says, they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. I think it should really say beneath his shadow. That this they is not Israel any longer, but the nations around. That the nations shall return and dwell within the shadow of Israel, this giant flourishing tree. They shall then flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. And their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. There's a benefit to those around the godly. Is this not the promise given to Abraham that those who bless you I will bless and those who curse you I will curse. And I believe that promise is still in effect that people and nations, business places that 
allow Christianity and Christian principles to flourish, I believe that they will flourish. And those that reject those things or even go as far as to persecute the church and God's people seemingly does not go well for them, at least for long. And here I think we see in this last chapter of Hosea a beautiful picture of what we sang earlier from Psalm 1. And no doubt Hosea would have known this psalm, this psalm of David most likely. It would have been a psalm that he sung. And what we read is very much a parallel. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Do we have any doubt that the good life is the life in God through the Lord Jesus? He is the one that allows our life to flourish. He's the one that blesses us upon our way with true blessings. Yes, there's times, perhaps you're going through them, times of affliction, times of suffering. Perhaps you can see it as a time of pruning, which no doubt are times that are uncomfortable to each and every one of us, but even then we could see it as the Lord allowing us to flourish more, cutting off branches that are not needful or not helpful for the overall well-being of our hearts and our souls and our lives so that we can be made whole again. And so we see this vast difference, do we not? Not only here in Hosea 14, but in Psalm 1, the vast difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. It's like the ever-blooming fruit tree versus that of chaff, which the wind blows away. And what do we make the difference to be? Well, the difference is the Lord alone. And that is a good reminder for us personally. That's a good reminder for us that our our parents and and grandparents, where is it that we should be putting our emphasis? What is going to make our kids flourish and our grandkids? It's not ultimately going to be sports or, or even schooling, but it is going to be the Lord and their relationship with the Lord. And hopefully by God's blessing, through the blessing of your parenting and the blessing of having them part of this church. We can see these young little seedlings become strong oaks in the Lord that are ever flourishing and bearing forth good fruits and that we would be a church that flourishes and be blessed by the Lord and be blessed to be a part of eating of those wonderful fruits that God gives. Well, third and finally then, we see this final church charge as we come to the end of Hosea, this final plea, this final exhortation where it reads in verse 8 and 9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him come and know them. 
For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This last verse sounds like the book of Proverbs. Sounds like a statement that Solomon himself could have written. But it's a call to the wise and the discerning. If you are wise and discerning, the Lord says, then you will not gloss over these words. You'll seek to understand them. You'll seek to know them. For the Lord's ways are right, Hosea says. And then once understanding and knowing them, you implement them into one's heart and one's mind. You live uprightly and walk in them. And this is a fitting in to this book, is it not? Because that is exactly what we have been seeking to do here on Sunday nights, is that we look to expound, to understand, to know, to discern this truth so that we could put it apart of our lives. And so just a few things that we have seen so clearly throughout this book as we summarize it in the best way that we can. First, we see our unfaithfulness and our sin. We are no different than Gomer. that ran off with multiple lovers. And our sin is much the same before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. And second, we see God's righteous judgment, that God is not only warranted but merited to bring judgment upon the earth. And that is what he warns, that judgment is coming. And we have seen that judgment is still coming upon the earth, and that is why we must flee to where judgment has already fallen. And it has fallen on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are either in ourselves and therefore face judgment. We are in Adam, we are in sin, we are in death, or we are in Christ. And there we find blessing and life forevermore. And so the third thing that we see from this book of Hosea is this call to return. This wonderful, gracious call that before the judgment comes, that we would seek the mercy of the Lord and of his grace. That God alone is the way of blessing. God alone is the way of flourishing and of life. And fourth and finally, we see God's radical love. Again, we are dumbfounded at the Lord's profound love. When there should not be a way, God made a way. That God's love pours out of every verse and every chapter of this book and really throughout the entirety of the Bible itself. It is that love that we so desperately need. It is the love that we so desperately crave as creatures made by our Creator. And it is a love that is fulfilled so abundantly in God that we are loved in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, we can love, as it says in 1 John 4, 9. We love because God first loved us. No greater picture of that love than what Christ did on our behalf, giving of himself, giving of the beloved so that we too can be a part of that love, so that we too can be called beloved and accepted in his sight. And so from this book, we have been taught, we've been convicted, we've been edified, we've been reassured, we've been spurred along 
And I hope it is my prayer that we would return to these truths again and again, even as we close out this book. We would apply these things and reapply them as we go along in this journey of life on the Christian path that Christ has called us to. And may the Lord bless us. May the Lord allow us to flourish. For as it says here, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. May it be so of us, even as we go to him now in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful book that was written and spoken so many years ago, and yet it is so applicable to our lives even now because it is the eternal truth of God. And Lord, we see this wonderful word of flourishing that we need. Lord, we need this spiritual life to revive us again. Lord, I pray even as we wake up early in the morning to spend time with you, Lord, that you would seek your face so that you would Shine your countenance upon us in that grace and in that mercy and in that love and that we would be reminded who we are in Christ and that we would go forth this day with that radiance of Christ, of that fragrance, that pleasant aroma of Christ, that we'd be life to those that know you and that we would even be, O Lord, the smell of death to those that are dying so that they would know that there is no hope in this life apart from you, and that we would show them and point them the way to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the hope of flourishing that is found only in him. Lord, once again, would you make us whole, make us whole in Christ. May you apply the whole of Christ to the whole of us. We pray this in his name. Amen.